0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to again think about uh, who you are in your glory and your majesty. We pray that as we continue our discussion that you would be with us and guide us, and that the the thoughts of our mind, the meditations of our hearts, and the words of our mouth would be pleasing in your sight. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning, JT. All right, so we are in 4.2 now, and the title of today's lesson is The Mystery of God. 4.2, 4.2, The Mystery of God. Uh, before we dive into this, I told you next week I will be in Kansas City. Very slight change of plans. I will be gone Tuesday through Friday. I will now be here on Monday. Uh, just wound up having to do that. Someone had a uh, uh, conflict of schedule, and we're going to drive all night to Illinois. So um, And then over to, to, to Kansas City after that. So it's better with babies to go through the night anyways. So be good. But I will be here on Monday. Sorry. Um. So, four point two, the mystery of God. Um, we've looked at um, the doctrine of Scripture and the doctrine of the Trinity so far in this course. And whenever we talked about the doctrine of Scripture, there was an important word that we used uh, about what the Scripture does, and, and that word was accommodation. It's the idea that God speaks in a way that human beings can understand. He He speaks kind of down to our level. Uh, I think I mentioned Calvin. Uh, has this quote where he says that just as a nurse will kind of lisp and and stutter as they're talking to a small child you guys know baby talk right Uh, the way you talk to a small kid that's analogous to what God does to us Uh, God doesn't speak um, in a way that is totally up over our heads But he uses normal things in order to describe himself. He uses nature. He uses the human body. He uses things that we understand to give us insights into who he is. But um, in this, as he's accommodating, kind of speaking down to us in a language we can understand, we know that finite human words and finite human minds can't wrap themselves around this hugely infinite God. And so um, there is a... Uh, in accommodation, a mystery to God. Uh, He's bigger than our words. He's bigger than our minds. And we get a taste of that as we think about the Trinity, where we started off yesterday saying the Trinity is an incomprehensible mystery. Uh, This three-in-oneness is a little bit too much for us to wrap our minds around. And the second that we try to make it simpler and try to make it more understandable, we start falling into heretical error as well. So um, we get this idea, finite minds and finite language cannot capture this infinitely glorious God. Um, and what I want to do in 4.2 is talk again about why that's good news for us. Uh, Martin Luther, the reformer, said, God is better than our best thoughts about him. I mean, if you think to yourself about God's love, Bible reveals certain things about God's love, doesn't it? You can think about God's love and how maybe you've experienced in it in your own life. You can think about the gospel, and what Luther is saying there is: whenever you think about God's love and you try to think, okay, God is loving. Um, what does that mean? And, and you start thinking about all these things. Whatever the highest point you get to uh, in understanding God's love, whatever the highest point you get to is, it falls short of the reality. Whenever you think about God's greatness or his power, and you think about it as, as it is expressed and revealed in scripture, as you think about how it's been shown in your life, the highest point that you get to, thinking about God's greatness or his power, falls short of the reality. He's bigger and better than we can think and comprehend. Um, I think, have I shared in this class about the refrigerator art? I know I have with some of you in the past, but I'll, I'll do it again. Um, my, one of my professors at Bryan, Dr. Judd Davis, um, he used an analogy about refrigerator art. Uh, you guys have interacted with these small people called children, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know the children. And um, a child comes up to you, and they've drawn something, and they hand it to you, and let's just be honest, does it look good? No, no, they're bad at it. Really bad at it, right? So you take the piece of paper, this little drawing from them, and what is the perfect question to ask a little child whenever they draw something for you? What? Oh, this is so great. Will you tell me what it is? Right? Because you don't know. You have no idea. It's just kind of scribbles. So you say, oh, this is so great. Will you explain to me what it is? And then the kid gets excited, and they point at it, and they go, that's you. <laughs> and you think, oh, that's rough. <laughs> you ever had that experience? Yeah. yeah. Little little kid comes prancing up to Olivia and uh, says, here's this picture I drew of you. And and, and Olivia goes, that looks nothing like me, I hope, right? Uh, You know, we we have this experience, right? And what do you do at that point? You look at the kid and you go, that is so offensive. How dare you? This is terrible. And you rip it in front of them. Say, this is crap and throw it down. That's not what I look like. Is that what you do, Olivia? You do? Okay. Um, So Olivia's a terrible person. Um, I'm just kidding. Um, What do you do? That's so sweet. Thank you so much. They thought enough about you. They like you enough. They drew a picture of you. It's bad, but it's really sweet, and you're proud of them. So where do you put it? On the fridge. fridge. Doctor Davis uses that analogy, and he says uh, that that's 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 what heaven will be like. You get there, and here is your theology. Here's what you think about God. God, here's what I think about your love. And, and God looks at it and goes, what, what, what is it? Oh, this is, this is the highest I ever achieved, thinking about your love. Does it even touch the reality? No. But, but God's going to respond in that same way. Great job. Put it on the refrigerator, right? Um, but that is our, our highest, best, deepest thoughts about God. You know, the best academic biblically informed thoughts that we can have about God fall short of the reality. God is more powerful than we can comprehend. He's more loving. Our best thoughts of God are going to fall short of the actual reality. That's really good news for us. Think about forgiveness. You guys have this idea in your minds that forgiveness, you know, uh, your sins are as far away as the east are from the west in Psalm 103 because of what Christ has done for you. You have this concept of God's forgiveness. But the highest pinnacle that you've ever reached, thinking about how forgiving God is, falls short of the reality of how forgiving he really is. The patience of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the justice of God. All of these things fall short. Um, Anybody at 1 Corinthians 13 for us? Uh, Asia, will you read verses 8 through 12 nice and loud for us?
1: Prophesy. Okay, prophesy. In part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully.
0: Good, thank you. In this passage, uh, Paul is picking up on the theme that we're talking about here, and he says, right now, we know in part, and we prophesy or we speak in part. Right now, we do know truths about God, and we can speak truthfully about God, but our knowledge and our speech are partial. And he says in verse 10, when the perfect comes, the partial passes away. Whenever on the last day... God reveals himself to us in glory. The partial understanding will pass away. He uses an analogy then. He says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child and I thought like a child. And I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Um, Any of you changed a few of your beliefs since you were eight some of you say no. Uh, what What are some uh, things that you maybe thought whenever you were eight that now you've grown up and you've realized mm, that's not true? Santa, ooh, that one's a heartbreaker, isn't it? All right, Santa and the Tooth Fairy and the Easter Bunny. You guys know that those aren't real, right? They are real. Did I just break some of your uh, some of your hearts? Sorry, Eshan. No, my dad will have an argument with you about Santa okay well sorry he was a historical figure at the council of nicaea yes, I know. so um you know that's that's that's, that's true uh, a- a- apparently Aries. he he punched arius but saint nicholas uh was involved yes
1: you're thinking of two entirely different people here saint nicholas is not the same person as santa claus santa claus is just a guy who took saint nicholas's name several uh, hundred years later.
0: i didn't know that i thought it was all based on the same okay well, that's to good to know. He
1: different people. He decided to make toys and give them to children on Christmas. Had no money, so he landed a marketing deal with Coca Cola, and they both became rich off of this. Yeah, that dude. Wow. <laughs> <laughs>
0: okay, thank you, JT. So I like the idea of Santa Claus punching heretics, but it didn't happen. So, all right. So, so. Um, okay. So that's something that's changed. What's else, what else? What else is something that you thought whenever you were a kid? You know, it's not true anymore. I thought I could become Bobby. You thought you could become what? Robin, like Batman and Robin. Oh, <laughs> I, like, okay. I really thought I could. Okay. It was very sad. Yeah. I think all of us have something similar something to that, strange, right? Yeah, uh,
1: Autumn? I used to think that I could fly.
0: That you could fly? Like if you just jumped off of a building, you're like, oh, oh yeah, I could totally flap my wings and go. Yeah,
1: uh, I jumped off a tree. Oh no. I could fly.
0: Okay. She so realized that, is. that that is not yeah. true. Yeah. Childish thinking that has been replaced with new, better thinking. It, Emma. It broke
1: my heart. So this is not as um, happy. Um, when I was seven, I was told that anybody who had stood in front of God's altar without like permission or the priest or whatever would die. So I used to have this like really immense fear that the altar would randomly appear in my room and I would just
0: die. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and and now you know that that's not how these that's things true. work in in our faith. Okay, uh, Asia.
1: I when, like, you know, you
0: don't have your seatbelt on, and it beeped, I thought that it called the police. My dad lied to me and told me that was true. I know, that is a thing well, around here. Dad, I mean, have any of your other parents told you that? Dad, and it's false, it's false. So My dad was
1: about to put on a seatbelt, so I'd, like, cry in the <laughs> car all the time, like, Dad, we're going to have the police.
0: I also, one of the other things that my parents did... Childhood trauma, right? Um, you guys know, like, if you're at Walmart and you're checking out, like, not the self-checkout, but at the actual checkout with the cashier, there's like this black rubber thing around the bottom of the of the. Um, you put your stuff up, and, there, and there's a, that, that black rubber. My mom told me one time. Um, I was like kind of up on it. I wanted to see the things that she was putting on the. Um, what is that called? Conveyor belt thing. Done, yeah. yeah. I wanted to see the things that she was putting up there. And she said, oh, hey, you better back up. And I said, what? And she goes, if you touch that black thing, that's there. So the people who are trying to steal can kind of like tell people, hey, I'm stealing something. And then you can give it back and not get in trouble. But if you touch it, they're going to think that you're stealing. I don't know where she got that from. But uh, anyways, that was, that was one. Paul's using this sort of stuff as an analogy here. He said, okay, whenever I was a kid, I thought like a kid. I spoke like a kid. I reasoned like a kid. Whenever I became a man, I gave up childish ways, though. And what he's saying is right now we have kind of this partial understanding. It's a true understanding based on God's word, but it's a partial understanding. But one day we'll hit maturity. Whenever Christ returns, then we'll hit maturity. We'll see these things in their fullness. He says in verse 12, now we see in a mirror dimly. You ever looked into a grungy mirror you can see your reflection, but not clearly. He says, we look into a mirror dimly right now, but then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. Even as God fully knows me, Paul says we will fully know him in that day. Okay, great text. Uh, anybody have Psalm 131? Olivia, will you read it for us, please? After you get done you know, yelling at kids that drew pictures of you, so... Good. Thank you. Um, this is a Psalm of David and David is wrestling with stuff. Um, probably during this point in life, he's going through some trials and that's causing him to ask some big questions that he doesn't have the answer to. And what he says is, Lord, I'm not lifting my heart up and I'm not raising my eyes too hard. I'm realizing that there are things in my faith, in in, in theology, there are things that are too great and too marvelous for me. There are things that are too big for me to get right now and to comprehend and david is exercising humility here he's recognizing that there are mysteries of the faith that as much as we think about them as much as we try to tackle them they're too big for us the good news is paul says that's not a forever thing whenever we arrive in glory we will know as we've been fully known you have a question Anybody have Deuteronomy 29.29? Robert! The secret things belong to the
1: Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do
0: all the words of this law. Yeah, Deuteronomy 29.29 makes two categories. It says that there are secret things, and the secret things belong to who? In that text. Who do the secret things belong to? God. Yeah, they belong to the Lord. They belong to God. So who do they not belong to? Us. us. But then, um, that's the part of the text that we always quote. The secret things belong to the Lord. There's things that you just can't know. <clears throat> but then, Moses has the second half to the verse. What's the other category? There's secret things in theirs. What else? Yeah, revealed. Yeah, revealed things. There are things that God has revealed and has taught us. There are revealed things. And who do those belong to? us there are things that are too big too secret too mysterious for us to understand those things belong to the lord but there are also things that god has revealed truths that that he has revealed about himself about the world and those things belong to us and we can study them we can know them we can trust and believe them it's partial there are things that are hidden in secret but there are true things that are truly revealed. Um, we'll skip Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 for right now. In that text, though, the Lord says, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. He's saying that he's higher above us. So uh, a couple of takeaways from this. Uh, number one, one day we will know as we are fully known. One day that partial will pass away. First John Chapter three, verse two says that one day in glory, we will see Christ face to face. And in that day, we will be as he is. How well does the son know the father? Perfectly. Perfectly. Um, before Jesus uh, became incarnate, before he took on humanity, he existed with the father in the beginning was the word and the word was what? With God and the word was God. The Son knows the Father perfectly. He has the fullness of deity dwelling in Him. And 1 John 3 2 says that whenever He appears, whenever Christ returns, we will see Him as He is and will be transformed. We'll become like He is. We'll see Christ and we'll know God even as Christ knows Him because we will be like Christ. One day this partial will pass away and the fullness will come. <clears throat> For now there is mystery though and number two is that this mystery is supposed to be good news for us it, this mystery is supposed to excite us it's supposed to lead us into worship enough has been revealed to us that we can see the good news uh or we can see the mystery as good news and worship because we know that god is good and we know that god's goodness is better than we can even imagine uh anybody got the romans 11 one slave will you read it Yeah, thank you. Verse 33, Paul starts off and he says, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God, his judgments are unsearchable and his ways are inscrutable. Uh, That word inscrutable means you, you you can't quite put your finger on it. His judgments are unsearchable. His ways are inscrutable. His mind is so high. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who's been his counselor? God's greatness, his wisdom, his power, all of these things are above us. But we have enough revealed where this unknown mysteriousness of God is part of the gospel message. We know God's goodness and we know that there's more goodness in God than we can even comprehend right now. The scriptures see it as good news. All right, that's 4.2. Next up, 4.3. Language about God. 4.3, language about God. Uh, If you were in church history last year, this is something that we covered, but it's something that we need to definitely go over again. We need to talk about how we talk about God. There's some vocabulary words we need for this lesson. Um, Oftentimes in Scripture, the language that we encounter about God is what we call cataphatic language. Um, sometimes this is spelled with a K instead of a C. Um, it, it doesn't come, this isn't an English word, this is a Greek word. And so sometimes people do it with a C, sometimes people do it with a K. But cataphatic. Um, anybody remember what cataphatic language refers to if you were in class last year? I'm
1: sorry. No.
0: The opposite is apophatic. Oh, man. None of you guys remember? Is it by affirming and denying? Yes. Good. Very good. Cataphatic language um, uses affirmative language or what we can call um, uh, positive language. Um, So what this would be is a statement like we find in 1 John, God is light. Or in 1 John a little bit later on, We read, God is love. Um, These are positive statements. It's telling you what God is. Okay? He is love. He is light. He is faithful. He is merciful. Uh, Cataphatic language is affirmative language. It's positive language used to describe God. Apophatic language um, is language that is language of denial. Or we call it negative language. Um, The favorite word of of, uh, of, of apatheticism would be not. Okay. So um, let me give an illustration really quickly. Yesterday we made an apathetic, or or sorry, a cataphatic statement. We said God is Trinity. We affirmed something. God is Trinity. Trinity. Uh, if I asked you, what does it mean that God is Trinity? You might say it means that he's three persons, yet one God. And if I said, what does that mean? Any, anybody, anybody want to take a shot at it? What does it mean that God's three persons, yet, yet, one, yet one? Does that get difficult very quickly? Okay, if I'm asking you to keep explaining it. Um, the way that I did it yesterday is I presented, okay, the cataphatic statement, God is Trinity. Well, what does that mean? I did a second cataphatic statement. God is three persons, yet one God. Well, what does that mean? At the end of class yesterday, I, I gave you four of something. What did I give you? Well, it doesn't mean yeah, yeah, heresies. It doesn't mean this. Very quickly, uh, as I was doing cataphatic language, I had to go and start saying, well, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. I said, it's not modalism. Uh, it's not Arianism. It's not um, uh, partialism. It, it's not tritheism. All right? Uh, if we started off with the cataphatic statement, uh, God is love. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean that God is love? okay okay um let's think about love and human relationships okay um sometimes people say i love you and they don't mean it uh you know they're they say i love you and um it's not really unconditional. It's very conditioned. Sometimes people say, I love you, and it's very fickle. Is that what we mean by God's love? Yes. He says, I love you, but, you know, it kind of depends on what he ate for breakfast and what mood he's in. That's not what we mean. Um, does God's love mean that he just, like, you know, is kind of a hippie God up in the sky, and, like, you know, you could you could— you know, do something really terrible to your neighbor and he's like, "Oh, I'm just love, man. I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm just going to overlook it." Does that does his love mean there's no judgment, no justice? Um, you know, you've had you've had experiences probably with parents before who they have a kid and they refuse to discipline the kid because I just love him so much. I don't want to I don't want to spank him. I don't want to get on to him. You've probably seen parents like that. Is that the type of God uh, love that God has? No, if we're thinking about what it means that God is love, sometimes we have to go to kind of these negative examples and say, this is not what we mean here, right? Uh, So very quickly in theology, we are pushed towards this category. And this has to do, again, with the mystery of God. Uh, There are things in God that it's really hard to talk about, really hard to define. So we can make a statement, God is Trinity, but then if we want to understand that more fully and more deeply, we have to very quickly start saying what that doesn't mean rather than what it means, which is helpful. It is very helpful to do that. It, 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 it alleviates possibilities, it, kind of a process of elimination. You guys have taken a test before and you didn't know the answer, but you can say, well, I know it's not that one, that one, or that one, so it must be that one. You've done that before, right? theology a lot of times we do that the same way god is trinity well what does that even mean well it's not that it's not that it's not that and it starts to give us a direction for what it is all right um another way that we can think about language uh about god would be to use the word analogy what is an analogy Yeah, simile metaphor, um, you take two unlike things and you tell how they are similar or alike. So, um, what are some famous, the one that I always use is, uh, you know, if you're standing outside with me and you point up at the sky and you say, that cloud is a broom. Well, does that mean that it has a wooden handle and bristles on the end? That would be very strange, wouldn't it? (laughs) It's probably going to fall and hit you in the head, too. All right, okay, so you look up and you say, that cloud is a broom. What do you mean by that? It looks like a broom, right? A cloud and a broom are two totally unlike things, but there's one similarity between them, and an analogy uh, hits on that one similarity. any of you guys read Shakespeare? Any of you read Romeo and Juliet? Oh man, the famous um, the famous metaphor as Romeo is standing outside of her little window thing and he says, Juliet is the sun. Wow, I didn't know Juliet was a flaming ball of fire that would consume everything within a few, you know. What does he mean by that? She's hot. She's radiant. She's beautiful. Uh, something like that. She almost sparkles whenever you look at her. So smitten, right? Uh, what? Yes, he does. <laughs> so we will not get into all of the metaphors. Um, what, are some, what are some other metaphors that we know?
1: What? What's the difference between an analogy and
0: a metaphor? So analogies would contain within them similes and metaphors. Um, both of these make comparisons of unlike things. A simile is an analogy that uses like or as, and a metaphor is an analogy that doesn't doesn't use like or as. It just uses is. So um, that that cloud is a broom um, would would be an example of a metaphor. Here's one of the more famous examples. If you don't mind me living. y'all are familiar with
1: Forrest Gump's iconic line, "Life is like a box of chocolates." Yes technically those specific words are never said in the movie. When Forrest says that line, he says, my mama told me life was like a box of chocolates, seeing it in past tense Mm -hmm. and present tense, and when his mom says it later on, she says life is a box of chocolates, she says it as a metaphor rather than a simile.
0: And he changes it to a simile? Yes. Yeah, so life is like a box of cho- chocolates, whether we do the metaphor or the simile, we've got an analogy there. Um, life is something that if you leave it out in the sun, it will melt and make you sad. Is that, oh, what does he mean by that? Life is like a box of chocolates. Yeah, what is, how does he explain it? You don't know what you're gonna get. Yeah, you don't know what you're going to get. You've had one of those assorted chocolate boxes, you open it up, you don't know if it's going to have a bunch of nuts, you don't know if it's dark chocolate, milk chocolate... Sometimes it tells you on the package at there's spare time. Yeah, But Forrest Forrest Gump's didn't have that apparently. So uh, you never know what you're going to get. It's going to be full of surprises, right? That's the analogy there. Um, This is a good way to think about language um, about God. Um, We talked about anthropomorphisms, anthropopathisms, things like that. Um, Whenever God compares himself to a human being or whenever he compares himself to something in nature, uh, we can understand that as an analogy. There's one central truth that is true that he's trying to communicate. Uh, There's one way that he is like this thing and the other things need to be rejected. So uh, an example, Luke 13, 34, Jesus is standing outside of Jerusalem and says, uh, I would have gathered you under my arms like a mother hen. All right, Jesus is using an analogy. He's comparing himself to a mother hen. Um, what is his point? Is like caring and yeah, he's carrying and protecting uh, just like a mother hen would be over her chicks. That is the point that he's trying to make. Obviously, we should not get from that statement that Jesus has... I've I, I told you about this, right? Yeah. Okay, so... Um, a couple of really crazy Seventh-day Adventists got on a radio show. They interpret the Bible. this These two people, not every Seventh-day Adventist, but these two people interpreted the Bible hyper-literally, and they created a belief called Polemism, which taught that uh, before Jesus became incarnate, he existed in eternity's past as a giant feathered hymn Not true, right? Not what Jesus is trying to get at. There's one similarity between Jesus and a mother hen that He is trying to communicate. Anything else in that comparison, we should reject as wrong. What about uh, Jesus says, "I am the door." Should we look for hinges on Him? He was a door. You think so? Yeah. What does He mean? I am the door. Yeah, He's the only way through to. To eternal life, to the Father. Good, Clara. Mm-hmm. Um, so, all of the language that we see about God in Scripture that that is cataphatic, you know, it's kind of doing this to an extent. God is stretching out His hand in Exodus three twenty. Well not saying that god literally has a physical hand what it's saying there uh, a stretched out hand is a is a symbol of military power and so it's trying to communicate god is like a commander of an army who stretches out his hand at the beginning of the battle it's a reference to his power there's an analogy that's happening there um the eyes and ears of the lord in first peter three twelve. not saying that god you know has a physical body it's saying that uh, just as you turn your eyes on someone to pay attention to them, God does that for you. Just as you might turn your ear so you can listen more carefully, God does that for you. Uh, he's paying attention. He's caring. There's an analogy that's happening there. So, um, again, this is language that we use to talk about God. Sometimes we use cataphatic language. Uh, often, whenever we try to explain it, we're forced to go the aphaphatic route. In um, all of the language that we use about God, uh, especially whenever he's comparing himself to a human being or to, you know, animal creation, uh, there is something of analogy that is at work there. So that's the end of 4.3. There we go. Um, so, um, like I said, I will be here on Monday.